stand with me, please? As Teresa comes this morning to read our scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord from Acts 2, 42 through 47. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I have a friend who owns a media and technology company, and we were talking a few years ago. This was before COVID, and he had been contracted, his company had been contracted by a church to help them develop their media platforms and their media outlets and, and strengthen all the areas where they were, were reaching people and had ministries that were going out using technology and devices and all of that. We got into a long discussion about all that he was doing, and he said, you realize that at some point, churches like yours, churches that meet in person, are no longer going to be necessary. And I said, hmm, really? Tell me more. He said, well, with all the work that we are doing with apps and podcasts and YouTube and Bible software and programs and virtual counseling and things like that, Churches are not really going to be necessary at some point. That's just the way the world is moving. And he said, and by the way, that also means that your job is going to be absolute, abs obsolete as well. And I said, wait a second now, hold on. Going a little too far. And so we started talking about what that would look like and, and, and what it means. And I said, listen, there are some things that technology and media can never replace. There are some things that we as the body of Christ, the church, we have to do in person. And, and they only happen in living, breathing community. And, and they can't be constrained by the limits of technology and media, no matter how advanced and how far things like technology and media go. And, and he disagreed, even to the point that he told me, and I think our family is just going to stop going to church altogether. And I begged him, Please don't do that. Don't take your family out of the living, breathing, loving community of faith just because you think it can be replaced using some of these other means, which can be helpful, can be great tools and resources, but hear me, those things are not the church. And when we talk about this thing called church, which is where I've felt to, led to be just for the next few weeks, coming out of Easter as we head towards the summer, just some simple reminders from Scripture, from some key Scriptures, about what it means for us to be the church. And that the, the true biblical picture of the true church is not a building, and it, it's not programs, it's not something that can be accomplished through the work of an app or technology or media. The church is the body of Christ, 
And the body of Christ that is the church is us. It's the people. And if this building that we're in ceases to exist, if it gets leveled, if the programs that we know and love are, are no longer a part of what we do, if the things that we enjoy and make us feel comfortable someday go away, we, we don't cease to be the church because the church is the people of God. It's us. And because of that, we're family. There are a lot of things that I hope you'll take away from this first message today as we we do a little bit more on the the heavy teaching side from scripture about how the new testament talks to us about the church i hope you'll take away a lot of things including our absolute dependence upon christ as the head of the church but i also hope you'll take away that that we need each other as as the church as family we need each other and what we do in person it truly does matter and before COVID came upon us in that fateful year that I never like to name out loud, 2020, many of us will acknowledge that we took a lot of what we do together for granted. It was easy for us to check off the box. It was easy for us to just find a reason not to be here or be there or to do the work that Christ has called us to do. But when we went for a few weeks without and when we spent those few weeks without being together and remembering the joy that we have as family being together, we came back and said, we're not going to take that for granted in the same way anymore because there is something real and there is a life that happens together as the community of God, as Christ's people, as Christ's body of the church that we can find in no other place. And today I can think of no better place in Scripture to start with just a few weeks of looking at the church in the New Testament than this little snapshot of the first organized church in Jerusalem that we read about here at the end of Acts chapter 2. And this little snapshot which tells us about what the first church in Jerusalem looked like and what they prioritized you'll hopefully remember, also comes after a huge event in the story of the church, the day of Pentecost that happened at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. A day when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, both men and women, in such a powerful way that anyone present could not have helped but to take notice. And one of the things that happens in Acts chapter 2 before we get to this part that we read this morning is that on one day, 3,000 people became believers, were baptized, and became a part of this church in one day. The church grew from 120 people to 3,120 people in just one day. Can you even imagine how the apostles, how the disciples possibly could have managed this growth and dealt with what what grew so quickly and exponentially in just one moment and yet because of the leadership of the holy spirit the end of acts chapter 2 tells us how it all came together in a way that i would call a healthy church and it becomes for us acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 sort of like a church 101 if we go back to the beginning, if we open up a primer, what does it tell us about who we are supposed to be as this thing called church? So I'm going to sort of lay out for you how the rest of the message is going to go. 
the bulk of our time is going to be spent together in the very first point. And the first point's going to be a little heavier on the teaching. And so because there's a, a lot that I've, I've felt led to include here up front, I've tried to organize it in such a way that if you're a person who likes to take notes and you like for them to be well laid out, then you're really going to like this first point. If you're not someone who likes to take notes, maybe today's a good day to start. Write down some notes, and hopefully this will, will be for us so, some good structure just to sort of begin as we talk about this thing we call church. The first point where we're going to spend most of our time is this. In a healthy church, and I believe what we see happening in Jerusalem at the end of Acts 2 is a healthy church situation. And don't we all want to be a part of a healthy church situation? In a healthy church, there is a common awareness that God is always present. There is nowhere we go that he is not with us. He is always in our midst. And he is always at work. And so part of our responsibility, but even better than that, our joy is to find the places where God is present and at work and we recognize his presence and his work and to be a part of it so that we know that which we are investing our time and our energy in is something that will last forever because it comes from God and it is his, it is his work in our midst. There's a common awareness in a healthy church that God is always present and always at work. And I think as we look to this example of the Jerusalem church, we see that reflected in their priorities. The first are their priorities in worship. Here in verse 42, in just one verse, we see their priorities in worship. Four of them are laid out for us, and they're very clear that as they came together, they devoted themselves, all of them, to the teaching that the apostles were providing, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which I think means the Lord's Supper, like we experienced last week in a, in a very special, and at least for me, a very meaningful Lord's Supper service. And they also devoted themselves to prayer. Now again, think about the context of Acts chapter 2. 3,000 new people have essentially just enrolled in the kindergarten of the church. They're starting from ground zero. They're starting from the very beginning Though we know from Acts chapter 2 they were Jewish background believers, which means that most of them knew their Bibles well, at least intellectually. They'd grown up learning the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call our Old Testament. They'd learned the Hebrew Scriptures in the synagogue and in their homes. They knew their Bible, but they didn't know what it meant to be a disciple. They, they are new believers, now new committed disciples of Jesus Christ, and the responsibility is heavy on the twelve those 11 who, who had followed Jesus closely, and then Matthias, who was chosen to join their ranks, who had been disciples for three years, following Jesus closely, learning from him as their rabbi, as their master, and, and now realizing what it meant that he was their Savior and their Lord. They had the responsibility as the apostles to teach others what it meant to be disciples. And I love the way the first nations version relates the beginning here of the verse first part of verse 42 i've shared this version with you before it's it's not really a translation it's more of an interpretation but really most of our english translations have heavy interpretation in them this interpretation comes from native americans 
It's an indigenous version of the New Testament that was put together by missionaries, pastors, and church leaders who have worked in Native American communities in the United States and in Canada. And they said, we, we feel like a lot of the language we've used in our churches fits the context of the New Testament because it's so heavy in community and family and, and our love for creation and all that God has made. And so I've shared a few texts before that from this First Nations version that I think are just beautiful interpretations of Scripture. And I love their interpretation of the beginning of verse 42. Our translation says, they all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here's what the First Nations version says. This newly formed family, love that, this newly formed family continued daily to learn from the 12 message bearers. That, that is such a beautiful picture of a disciple and of the apostles who were commissioned, who had followed Jesus personally for three years plus. They were the message bearers of the good news of the gospel, and it was their job now to shepherd this newly formed family and to teach them not just what they knew from the Bible, but the things that Jesus had taught them that would become the foundational teachings of this thing we call church. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called life together. What we like to say here at South Tulsa, we enjoy being together most of the time. We like the time we spend together. We like each other. We enjoy doing life together, and there's something special that happens when we're a part of a community of a family like this. They committed themselves to the Lord's Supper, to communing with God through this act of worship of breaking the bread and sharing the cup in remembrance of Him. And they enjoyed the communion they had with each other as those symbols of unity brought them together and were at the center of worship. And they committed themselves, they devoted themselves to prayer. Our ministers was just these last, uh, this last week we took a, a retreat together. As part of our retreat, we dialogued together about some of the things in our church that we consider to be strengths and some that we consider to be weaknesses some that we consider to be opportunities and some that we consider to be threats, potential threats to our effectiveness and our unity. And when it came to our discussion on prayer, no surprise, we each valued prayer to the very highest level. We said prayer is a, an essential part of our individual Christian lives as believers and ministers, but it's also an essential part of our life here in the community as the church. We valued it to the highest level, but when we evaluated the level of prayer in our church, we said we still have some work to do there. Hopefully, you've, you've been growing in that area. We've provided in the last couple of years some more tools to hopefully help you in your personal prayer life and time with the Lord. We've also made the regular part of some of the rhythms of our activities extra special times of corporate prayer. For example, if you've been to any of our mornings of prayer, you know that those have been incredibly meaningful, worshipful times with the Lord, and that each of us have left there every time saying there was nowhere else we should have been today than here and spending this time together with the Lord. We value prayer highly. 
We know it's an essential part of the church, but how are we doing in terms of devoting ourselves as Christ's people and as his church to prayer? These were their priorities in worship. We also see some of their priorities in ministry and in mission. What were they doing? And what for them was the Spirit leading them to to do internally, but also outside their walls and outside of their gatherings that they would have called ministry and they would have called mission? The apostles and, and the growing leadership of the church focused on what I would call a holistic ministry. And now I'm spelling that with a W-H, holistic. We see just in this snapshot, they cared about the physical needs of the people inside and outside the church. They cared about their emotional needs. They wanted everyone to know they belonged. They didn't want anyone to feel as if they were left out or they did not matter in the community. And they also cared deeply about their spiritual needs. That's why at the foundation was the teaching of Christ in the scriptures, their, their Christian fellowship, the Lord's Supper and prayer. They, they focused in a holistic way on the whole person. How can we as a family get the best out of one another and be the most effective together in being the people that Christ has called us to be? And as a part of this holistic ministry, it was also clear, again, that common awareness that God is always present and always at work, it was clear that the Holy Spirit was in the middle of what they were doing and leading them. And we see the evidence of that just based on some of the language. Look there in verse 43. There was a sense of awe at the many things happening. And these were things being revealed that only God can do. Things that are called wonders and signs. Things where the people said, we have no doubt that God is the one who did that. God was being, his work was being seen through their leadership. And look there at verse 47. God's work was seen through his people inside the church community, to be sure, but also outside, in the outside community. They not only were enjoying praising God together, but they were also enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily, not monthly, not weekly, not every summer, only at church camp. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know of any church, at least any American church, who can say that. That the effectiveness to the level is, is to the highest level The the awareness we have that God is present and and at work is so clear that every single day the Lord is adding to our number those who are being transformed, being brought from death into life. But God's work in their midst was evident, and through ministry and mission, they were gospel-centered. This was true inside their worship gatherings, but also they did not forsake their active witness outside of their gatherings. And the fruit of their ministry and mission was clear. The last priority, again, we're real heavy here in this first part. The last priority that's clear, their their priorities in worship, their priorities in ministry and mission, the last one is their priorities inside the community. The word that we have for fellowship 
Most often in the New Testament is the word koinonia. Many of you have heard that before. The root of the Greek word koinonia is koinos. And koinos literally means in common. That, that was the basis of their fellowship and their community. That each one said to the other, we are one. We are all in this thing together. We are a family, and in this family, we have things in common. We share with one another, and we work hard to make sure that no one is favored, no one is left out, and everybody in this community shares life and family and love together. If you look at verses 44 through 46, or they're in the heart of, of the text, their oneness was evident. All the believers were together. And they had everything in common with one another. That's not a word that means they all agreed on every topic. It means they were of one heart and mind. And they shared with each other. Their generosity was evident. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need to make sure that nobody was going without and I don't know about you, but when I read through that part of the text, I think to myself, now how does that possibly work? How is it really possible that people would value so highly their relationships and their in commonness that they would sell their possessions, give of their property, just to make sure nobody had a need? Well, thankfully, if we jump forward a couple of chapters in the book of Acts, we, we read more about how this worked. The end of Acts chapter 4, as the church had grown a little bit further and now was facing persecution, gives us some names and some specifics about how this in common and sharing of possessions and meeting the needs of, e of one another in, in a holistic way, what it looked like. All the believers, here's that, that language again, Acts 4.32, they were one in heart and in mind. And no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Instead, they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. So powerfully at work was God's grace that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need we even get the name of one who was remembered for doing this joseph who they started calling barnabas the son of encouragement he sold his field brought the money and he put it at the apostles feet this is how that that community that oneness that in common was being lived out in the church this is what it looked like. It essentially boiled down to the fact that each member of the community and the family said, what's most important is not what I get out of this, but what I give. Or we might say it simply like this. In this family, it's not about me. But here in this community, what's most important, as a disciple, what's most important to me is the needs of my brothers and sisters and our neighbors who the Lord brings across our path so that we might live as one and have things in common. This, by the way, is not an effective system of government. Things that are built upon 
man-made systems with these kinds of intentions they fail every time because things that are built on man-made ideas and systems are weak and ineffective and they're always susceptible to corruption but where this works is in the church because what we are building upon is not a foundation that is man-made but it's God's foundation and Jesus Christ is the head of the church and so when we follow him closely we can live in these kinds of relationships because he modeled them for us and he intended his church to model this for others I love the way John Chrysostom said it in the church the poor person knew no shame and the rich person knew no arrogance they were one in Christ Jesus their oneness was evident their generosity was evident and as another priority of their community their commitment was evident they didn't just get together on Sundays they didn't just get together on Sundays and Wednesdays they certainly didn't just get together on Christmas and Easter every day they continued meeting together it started in the temple courts a place that was very familiar to them but eventually it moved into their homes and whether they were outside in the temple courts or or doing house church together they broke bread they praised God together and if you're looking for evidence of a healthy church right here in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2 they broke bread and ate in their homes with glad and sincere hearts they experienced community family they loved each other and there was a common awareness that God was present and God was at work as we finish up this first part and I promise you the next two parts go very quickly a simple question that I walk away with here is how many Christians in our culture look for a church based on the things we just read and talked about how many Christians in our, our culture look for a church and the first thing they're looking for is solid teaching on the level of what the first Christians were teaching? Genuine fellowship, a, a commitment to remembering the Lord's death, and a commitment to prayer. How many people go into a church and they look for, for people being in awe as they worship God? They look for a community where where people have things in common, where they have glad and sincere hearts, and where daily the Lord is adding to their number people who are saved. It's far more common in our culture, even in the Christian part of our culture and in churches, to mimic what we see through the rest of our culture, consumerism and comfort, and to evaluate our church or where we want to be on things less like what we read in Acts 2 and more along the lines of entertainment our preferred styles of music, convenient parking, and comfortable amenities. A healthy church is not measured on those things. But a healthy church realizes that we need God first and foremost, and we're here to meet with Him, and also realizes that we need each other. That's why, just sort of as a a couple of summaries of this whole passage another thing that jumps out is that in a healthy church everyone has a part to play every single one of us 
You'll remember from our Old Testament reading earlier in worship, Joel chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost there in Acts 2, and Peter began preaching, he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And he says this very thing. Now in the age of the church, everyone has a part to play. Whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're an older person or a younger person, no matter your ethnic background, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, everyone has a role to play. God has said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will proclaim truth. They will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will proclaim my truth. They will prophesy. In a healthy church, everyone has a part to play. And just look back to the text for a minute. Every time we see the word all or the word everyone, when you see the word they, the, the, the word here is they all. It, it's an all-inclusive word. So look at how many times that kind of language is evident. Verse 42, they all devoted themselves. Verse 43, everyone. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they all sold property and possessions. Verse 46, every day they all continued to meet together. Verse 46, again, they all broke bread in their homes and ate together. Verse 47, they all continued praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In a healthy church, everyone has a part to play. We're all here for a reason. We're all called to be active, not passive participants in this family and in the ministry that Christ has called us to. And whether it's through our gifts and abilities, whether it's through our passions, or whether it's through those things that God will call us to do that make us really uncomfortable and stretch us to places we never thought we might go, every single one of us has a part to play. And as a part of this, the church should always be a place of both equality and equity. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean it should be a place where, we, where everyone is valued as equals, as brothers and sisters in Christ, but also a place just as they were sharing their possessions, they were, no one among them was without and had a need, that they said, in, in this family, everybody has an equal share. Again, this doesn't typically work well in man-made systems. But when Christ is the head of the church and when the word of God is the foundation, we can live in these kinds of relationships. And there can be both equality and equity. And just to, to build that statement upon scripture and this idea that in a healthy church, everyone has a part to play, let me just read some samples of some of the scriptures we're going to cover in the next few weeks from the letters of the apostles. Here's what Paul says. Just as a human body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, male or female, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. John says, if anyone has material possessions, 
and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity of them, on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, he wrote, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. James, the apostle, wrote, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, we must not show favoritism. And Peter, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are the people of God. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy and set-apart nation. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And out of that mercy, you are one in Christ Jesus. You are a family. And in this family, in this community, no brother or sister is favored and no brother or sister is left out. Because in a healthy church, God is always present and always at work and there is a common awareness about that. And everyone has a part to play. And finally, again, just sort of a summary statement of this whole text. In a healthy church, there is a spirit of love, love for God, love for brother and sister, and love for neighbor. There's a spirit of unity, the kind of unity of purpose, ministry, mission, and community that only the Spirit can give us. And there's a spirit of service. After all, that's what it means to be a disciple, ultimately, is to be a servant of God and a servant of others. And Christ modeled this for us. Christ modeled for us that disciples wash each other's feet. That disciples are known by their sacrificial love and generosity towards each other. Disciples are not driven by selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility they put the needs of others above their own. Disciples have died to themselves, and in Christ they now live. Therefore, no greater love is known than this, that as disciples we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters in love, unity, and in service. I love what one scholar said. What was happening among these first Christians was infectious, including their gospel witness. People saw something true and real, and they wanted to be a part of it. And the work of this first church, we could argue, is the most effective. It's the best version of this thing called church we've ever seen. And it is Church 101 for us. It's the model by which we are called to live. It's the biblical picture that God has given us of the true church, which is not a building, it's not an app, it's not a podcast, and it's not top-notch media, but it's us. It's God, God's people ourselves. And we need each other. I had intended to close today with a, a story, but yesterday I changed it because of an experience that I had that I'll share with you, and I, I was able to get through it the first service without getting emotional, so there's good hope that I can do it a second time, but we'll see. So yesterday, I took my oldest child to register for 
the university where he's going to attend next year. I didn't even drop him off yet. And I got totally overwhelmed with emotion. As I stood next to Aiden at one point, I thought, Lord, please don't let him look at me. Don't let him touch me. Don't let him speak to me because this is not going to be pretty if he does. And I started wrestling with this next season of life where my oldest is going to be launched out into the world and he's going to do great. But some of you have been there. Some of you are there now. And you know that, that this, for me, is, is going to be a hard season. We also had a long drive yesterday, a lot of chance to talk. And one of the things that we talked about together was how thankful we are as father and son and as a family for you. We have been so blessed to be in this church this last six years. We love our church family. We need you. And we hope that you love us and need us too. We hope that that relationship is evident and it's getting better, it's getting sweeter with each passing year that, that we're here. We're so blessed to be a part of this church. And I'm just going to tell you right now as a pastor, I need you in these next weeks and months to come. I need my church family. I need your prayer. I need your encouragement. Those of you who have walked through this, I need my community as I walk into this next season of life. And my family needs you too. It's an incredible thing to have this kind of family, community, church. And I do believe there's a spirit of love, unity, and service here in our midst. And I pray that the Lord keeps it that way, and I can't imagine how people walk through life without it.